Welcome to the MOH Podcast. I am Jim Patton, your host. It's time for another tape from Winky. And this time we're getting a, uh, what can I say, we'll call it an encapsulated version of a whole bunch of things. Uh, he could have easily made this into half a dozen sessions. Uh, I know because I've heard him speak on many of these topics. But it's a, it's a short kind of Reader's Digest version of uh, the idea of the temptations you're going to face in ministry. It initially was given to uh, a bunch of young people who were developing uh, their, their skills as, uh, as ministers. And uh, they were given, so it was, you know, initially it was given as, you call it um, temptations in youth ministry, but it's, it's really, it really goes much broader than that. Uh, it's the temptations that people face in ministry, and Winky's going to talk about uh, several several of those areas and how to how to deal with them. Uh, get out your pencils and papers, take some notes because it's going to be going by kind of quick. And uh, you you might want to take some notes, or maybe you could just listen to this again uh, to to rehash in your own mind the things that he said. And and uh, from time to time, maybe you want to listen to it again as you're moving on in ministry to. To new areas and oh, I remember Winky had something about that, so you can come back to this and listen to it again. Um, but uh, go ahead and listen to Winky now as he talks about temptation in the ministry. You can call this session if you want a different title. We're going to put a whole bunch of things under this session. You can call it Temptations of the Youth Ministry. I'm just going to share with you from my heart here some of the things that. Uh, Lord has beaten me over the head with over the past number of years, teaching me some lessons from his word, some things that may be valuable. You know, there's one marvelous thing about being able to read about other men of God. And the marvelous thing is this. You can find out the mistakes they make and determine in your heart you will not go the same way. That has been so exciting for me to see these young Christians who get trained under our ministry, who can stay with us for a long time. They miss half the things that we got messed up with because they know we didn't. And that's a tremendous blessing. And uh, that's one of the most exciting and thrilling things I know about leading kids to the Lord. I'm, I have always been thrilled about reading biographies Christian biographies of men, women of God, to come across a problem. I've been reading about this guy goes through this problem, and I'm looking at that thing and I say, oh, wow, that's the same problem that I had, you know, or I'm having now, see? And then you see how they solved it, and you see the pressures they went through. Sometimes they didn't understand it for a whole 10 years or something. And then you think, hallelujah, you know, I... Save myself 10 years by reading this thing. I used to, I, I tell you what is an interesting thing, is to find at what different points in people's ministries problems came. See, the age that they were, at what time this thing came. And you figure, well, you know, I used to think, all right, Charles Finney started when he was uh, 30 years of age. He started, he got saved when he was 30. John Wesley, when he was uh, a little older than that, more like 34, 35. And I thought, hallelujah, man, I got Say, when I'm 18, look at all the advantage I get on these dudes, you know. And maybe when I'm 30, you know, I've had all these years to at least learn some of the things that I've learned. And what an exciting thing that is. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Timothy. The book of Timothy is really the youth minister's book. 
First and second Timothy are a series of exhortations to the youth minister. I think if we take seriously some of the scriptures, youth ministry here, we'll, uh, we'll save ourselves a lot of problems. One of the scariest verses of the whole book of 1 Timothy is found in chapter 4. You'll find it in verse 16. It says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. How many people have felt like you've been saved all over again after God's gone smash, crunch, smash with you. And that speaks to me, <laughs> that particular verse. Now, there is a verse just a little higher than this. It tells us some of this doctrine of the youth minister or the youth ministry. You find it in verse 12. Let no man despise your youth. Now listen. Don't you say, if God has called you into the ministry, they won't listen because I'm too young. God says, let no man despise your youth. But be an example to the believers. And then he tells us how to be an example. He tells us where to be an example in words, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them, that your profiting may appear to all. Let's look to the Lord in prayer and ask him to speak to us tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you. <coughs> Again tonight, we have thanked you so many times, but we never run out of praise for you because you are our God. We are your people and the sheep of your pasture. We look to you, O great shepherd, tonight to teach us. We who must teach and shepherd others look to you again to give us wisdom from your holy book. Speak to us by your spirit, minister to us, we pray, that Jesus may be exalted in our lives. Run again your plow to our hearts. Give us awareness for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Temptations of the youth minister. The first thing that we ought to look at is word. In word. In example, in word. I think that means a couple of things. Scriptures tell us we are to give attention to reading to exhortation, and to doctrine. So in the reading thing, the first book, say, what shall I read? Read your Bible. That's a dumb thing to say, because after all, you're in the ministry, aren't you? What are you supposed to be reading? Do you read your Bible? man that I respect more than any other preacher or theologian because that's what he is, a real God-called theologian, Gordon Olson. Gordon Olson ministered for a number of years. He graduated from seminary, had all this tremendous background of knowledge, and he was preaching. And he just couldn't feel happy or excited about what he was preaching. And he was really bothered about it, and his heart was grieved about it. And so 
he went before the Lord and he began to pray and he, would, he knew all this stuff and then one day he was preaching in a place and a man came up to him and said, Mr. Olson, if what you say is true, I could murder my wife and sleep with a prostitute and still go to heaven and walked away. So he said, and that bothered him no end. He went away. <laughs> he went away and he really began to seek God. And God spoke to Gordon and told him this. He said, Gordon, you've read all these books. Read all these books in engineering because he was an engineering consultant. He said, you've read all these books in theology because he had seven years of seminary. He said, how much time have you spent in my book? And you know, I have found that it's possible to graduate from Bible college and seminary and never once have read the Bible. Never once have read it through. I have a friend and he was getting his BA in Bible. And uh, my friend Mike, he was my roommate in Bible college. And uh, I had a couple of semesters in Bible college and, and um, he was my roommate and he was graduating the year I was there. And the theology professor, he really loved Mike, and he said, Mike, are you getting ready to graduate? He said, well, yes, sir. And uh, Professor said, uh, oh, Brother Mike, you feel prepared? He said, well, learn the lessons. He said, you're going to pick up your degree, Mike. He said, yes. He said, Brother Mike, have you ever read the Bible through one? Well, uh, you know, he hadn't, never had. And maybe in your heart, as you sit here tonight, you say, hey, Mike, Mike, I am with you. I have, I have studied all these fantastic classes on the typology of this and that, but I never read the Bible yet. Is it possible that the man who's called into the ministry not read the Word of God? And I confess to you, when I begin in the ministry, I never read the Bible through. Oh, I've done this, man. Glory. Glory. I knew all the bits in the Bible, but after a while, you know, after a while, it keeps opening at the same bits, and you get the message the Lord is trying to speak to you about something. And I went before the Lord, and I said, Lord, I have... And I used to hate preachers. I'd come sitting there to be ministered to, you know, get some ideas for sharing my little Sunday school class. By the way, let's throw that in. You really want to learn to communicate to kids, you take a Sunday school class and teach them for six months. If you can hold those little characters, you can hold any audience in the world. I promise you that. I think every youth minister ought to take one Sunday school class because little kids are not polite. You know? Adults sit there, yes, praise the Lord, they're asleep behind their stairs, you know? But little kids, man, you lose them for a second, you know, that's it. They're out. They're gone. You've got to do everything in the world to make sure they listen. And you take a Sunday school class and you'll prove your ministry, brother. Take a Sunday school class. I had this little Sunday school class and, man, that was the wildest thing. We had everybody from 9 to 99 in our Sunday school class as we ran it in the afternoon to pick up the kids and the unsaved people from the, they wouldn't go to church. We ran it in our garage at home. And I used to sit waiting for some good blessing from these preachers in the camps, you know. Another thing, too, while we're out there. Take, make sure you start collecting yourself a folder of things. You take notes on every message, not just on special conventions. You sit 
listening to a guy and writing notes out. And it's surprising how the Lord will give you sermons from his sermon, even if he doesn't say anything. You know, it's just it's amazing how when you have a pencil in your hand listening to other preacher preach, God will speak to you and give you something to bless your soul. Another thing is this. When a man ministers to me, that his sermon has become part of my life. I don't feel convicted re-preaching something that God has made real to me through the ministry of a man of God. That's mine now. Gave it to me, put it in my heart, it's part of me. So I'll preach it too. Comes part of my experience in life. So start collecting yourself. I have, since the day I got saved and God uh, spoke to me about this, I have simply got a little book and just put some empty pages in it and I've written out every message and then just sit down there written everything that blesses me. You don't have to go through this this stuff about, you know, fact one, fact two, fact three. That's not the important thing to get the outline. Anybody can get outlines. You can get outlines from, you know, anywhere. The important thing is the real key little things, especially illustrations, especially stories. How many of you bought a book of stories, of illustrations, and wished that you hadn't wasted the money? There's only one you could use, and everybody else has also used that same one. When you've got 5,000 illustrations, you know, I think the best illustrations come out of practice that you like. You count, you get wild illustrations. And every now and then a guy will come through with a mind blower. Put it down. You tell, I'll remember that. You won't. You put it down. And uh, collect these things. And then take the best messages, ones that have really ministered to you. And if you like, type them up and stick them in a little book that can be a real blessing to you. Sometimes when the, the Bible is dry and prayer doesn't seem to work, and I've got to preach in 1.5 seconds. You know, the, if some of you may know the experience. You're sitting there, man, you've prayed all day and nothing has happened. You've, you've read the Bible and it just looks like the Bible. This happens, you know. And then I take, I take this little book with, with these things in it and I read it and again the Spirit of God begins to minister to my soul and begins to break me and the whole Spirit of God begins to recreate the same power, the same anointing that I felt in that message when it was originally preached. And I don't even, it's not the message itself, it is the Spirit and the power that came with it. It comes back, comes back. And I suggest you have this little, uh, it's a primer, if you like, primes the pump to get your spiritual juices working and that will be a blessing to you. Where were we, by the way? We got a little, oh yes, reading... Reading, reading the Bible. Read the Bible. I used to hate preachers that preached on reading the Bible. New Zealand, we all got skinny, bony preachers that wear black. Always used to point, man. Like this. And invariably they point at me. Invariably. I'm sitting there looking innocent, you know, praising the Lord. How many of you, they said, have ever read the Bible through once? When? And I could sit down here in the front they point at me here. I get sit in the back, they point at me, wham! All the time I get pointed at. And in absolute bitterness of soul, I went out after a year and I said, I'm going to read the Bible through once, just once. So when that bony preacher points and points at me and says, how many of you have ever read the I'll say, well, I have, praise the Lord, just to get them off my back. I got the Bible, I went on my knees, I said, all right. Uh, I used to start, man. I used to read Genesis. Well, it's cool. Genesis, plenty of stories in Genesis. Exodus, then Leviticus. The fat, the atonement, the first day, and then, then you come to the telephone directory. 
<laughs> are the sons of Zebulun, Sarah, the family of Sardites, of Elon, the family of JCL. And I said, what in the Sam Hill? That's where it used to stop, right there. But I said, I am going to read the telephone directory, even if it kills me, because I've got to get through this thing. And the Lord gave me a tremendous blessing from the telephone directory. He really did. First of all, if you want to play Bible Scrabble, the telephone directory is a tremendous thing. <laughs> Bible Scrabble is, you, can, you can't get ordinary names in Scrabble. See, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to get a, uh, a... But if you get a Bible name, a real name of a Bible man, you get triple points. Man, you get Mir Herod, Hola Helek, <laughs> and you get him, ma'am, on a triple point with two. You wipe the board in one night. That is the wildest kind of scrabble in the world, man. That is really a cool scrabble. Anyway, that wasn't a spiritual blessing. That was just a practical one, man. The, uh, the other one, the real blessing, was this. It's a really cool thing. The other blessing is here are a whole bunch of people. You never did anything. They were not superstars. But you know what? God considered them important enough to put him in this book. And now I know my name. I may not ever be known. I'm probably the world's most internationally unknown evangelist. <laughs> but God has my name in the palms of his hand. And he loves me. And he put those people in the book that never did anything as far as we know. I know he's got my name. And that excites me. So even the telephone directories have blessings, you know. And eventually, I was just plowing through this thing, reading it, night, just simply to get, read one time through. And God began to minister to me. I saw all kinds of things I'd never seen before. The, the sweep of the thing began to come. I used to get revelation flashes, you know, flash on this, this, and flash. But the whole powerful unfolding of the Word of God became real to me. And, you know, I think there's a thing about Bible reading and guidance. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. You ever done a jigsaw puzzle? It's the thing that drives you insane. It's a bunch of little things looking like this, see? And I think, I used to hear about all these preachers that said, oh, God spoke to me from the Bible today. You know, I thought, well, he never spoke to me from the Bible. I read it for a year and not, nothing happened. But when I was faithful to God and I decided I'd read this thing through just to see what he said, I think what happens is that every time you read a little part, you may not understand it all. That's all right. That's not your problem. You just keep reading. You're putting in a piece of a jigsaw puzzle. See? It'll take time. There's a price to pay. You're keeping on putting on that piece. And one day, man, you're going to come in and you're going to put a piece in that jigsaw puzzle. You're going to put it in. And quite suddenly, you're going to stand back and you're going to see the picture. And you'll say, oh, wow. Things will go, and they'll all fall together. And when you know that experience, brother, that's the most beautiful thing in the world. God speaks to you from his book. It comes alive. It begins to live in power. And that is exciting. Now, the word, I got my call from the ministry that night. I was sitting there, 2 o'clock in the morning. I was reading, and that thing I mentioned to you, that time in the book of Proverbs, it just opened like that. And I sat there for five hours writing on three verses of Scripture. I filled up, filled up three typewritten pages of stuff that God taught me. Told me how to study, told me how to prepare, told me what to do, the way to do it. We didn't have any cool Bible colleges in New Zealand. God taught me through that. The Word. Get into the Word. Preach the Word, the Bible says. Don't say Karl Barth says, you know, so and 
preach the word. Now, another thing about the word that I think we ought to look at is not the word of God, but our own words, our mouth words. And, and that's a, a really important thing. Let me share with you some things the Lord shared with me first about the way we use the Word of God. Sometimes we are too flippant with the Word of God. Now, I used to have a big whole thing on Bible jokes. I've shared some of this with you guys personally, but I'll share it on tape too. It may be a blessing to people who listen. I had a big thing on Bible jokes. I used to have a whole book full of Bible jokes, all kinds of Bible jokes, things that were really funny little things you could, you know, there were Bible jokes. I'm not going to tell you any of them because I don't want any. Anyway, I was telling one of these Bible jokes one time and the Lord spoke to me and he said, what are you laughing at? And I said, your word. Word. <laughs> From that day to this, brother, I never told a Bible joke. Finished. Dio Moody went in to this college, big old university, super brilliant people there. They laughed at him, boy, they laughed. He said Jerusalem in two syllables, Jerusalem. He was the most Dio Moody till the day he died. When the, just a couple of weeks before he died, he's writing to his friend. He said, "Tell me, how do you spell Philadelphia? F-I-L or F-E-L?" Dio Moody stood up there in that brilliant college and he prayed and they all laughed. Then he called on Sankey to sing. Sankey sung a solo. They all laughed. And then he said, Mr. Sankey, lead a chorus. And he led a chorus and they laughed. And then Dio Moody got up and he opened the word of God and he began to read it. And somebody laughed. And he stopped. And he said, you laughed at the prayer. You laughed at the singing. You laughed at the chorus. Now you laugh at the word of God. I would sooner play with folk like me. And God came down. And out of that awakening came men like C.T. Studd who started the World Evangelization Crusade Movement. Don't play with the word of God. It is your weapon under the Spirit of God. And if you play with it, I'll tell you what will happen. When you get up to preach, you'll lose your authority. That's the way it goes. I was at a national youth conference and everybody was sharing all kinds of things and they did something that grieved me so bad. My bags were up in the front. If they had not have been up there, I think I would have blown that convention because they stood up and they had a fun thing for the afternoon for the guys to relax. And they gave each guy a text of scripture to preach on for three minutes, a funny verse in the Bible. And that made me so mad. And I don't think it was unholy madness. Because I think it makes God sick. Word of God, watch it. And now look at this word, this lip, this mouth. I think that Pentecostal people have a good chapter on tongues that we ought to read very, very often. You'll find it in the book of James, chapter 3. James, chapter 3. 
That's a good chapter on the tongue. Good chapter. This is what it says. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able to bridle his whole body. Look, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. The ships, which though they are great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, wherever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. What Paul is saying here in modern language is this. You can put a tiny little piece of a, a, a drug, acid, LSD, on a person's tongue, wham, and his whole head is changed, and his whole body follows. You can get one of those big 747s, it's got a tiny little thing. You flip that around in that massive jet with those Pratt Whitney engines, sweep around in the sky, and if you can control that tongue, you can control anything. And I want to tell you something. The mark of a man of God is the control he places on his tongue. You tell me what your words sound like, and I'll tell you what your heart sounds like. If you do not offend in words, you prove yourself a perfect man. Is your tongue kind? Listen, if you want to grow up fast in the Lord and in his ways, there's one thing you can do when God has not specifically called you to use it. Keep your mouth shut. Don't talk so much. I hear, I know in the ministry we're going to be doing a lot of talking. But man, before I get up to speak, I don't want anybody to talk to me. No way. I have some time with God and I want the last person in the world before I talk to people is I want God to talk to me. And in a crusade with souls are at stake, where young people's lives are hanging in the balance, I shut myself away from four o'clock in the afternoon until the time I preach. I don't sit up on the platform in case anybody asks me a question. I sit down in the, in the side of the thing and my wife and I worked a sneaky little thing out. I sit right on the edge, right on the, the front seat. If I can't get a place on my own, I sit right up there. My wife sits here and that's right in the front seat so nobody can turn around. And every person that comes up to talk to me, my wife gets in there and fends them off. You know why? Because when I get up, I want God to come fresh from the presence of God. To be able to say, this is what the Lord said. And you will feel that authority. It will come to preaching in the ministry. Now, the... The word is a big thing here. There's a lot of things we could go in. But uh, uh, one other thing about the word. Watch out for foolishness. Foolishness. Christians are the happiest people I know. They always, you know, they're telling, you know, they're sharing with each other. We get out and have a good time. As Mario had his two-carat ring on today. You know, this. we have all kinds. Christians really have a good time because they love each other. They have a joy of the Holy Ghost in their life. But, understand this, never ever let your humor degenerate into foolishness because levity is a sin condemned from one end of the Bible to the other. I, I, I learned a really valuable lesson. We took up a team to hit a little community that had never been hit before. We saw tremendous things the first time we took this team out. We saw 150 kids give their lives to Jesus Christ in a week. A powerful move of the Holy Spirit of God. And we were so excited, we were having a sharing time, 
somebody told a joke and got funny, somebody else told a joke, another person told a joke, another person told a joke, another person told a joke, and suddenly God was gone. Gone. And he never, never, for the rest of our time in the thing, came back. And it was the most serious lesson I ever learned. You never grieve the Holy Spirit of God with levity. This is dangerous work, brothers and sisters. We are dealing with souls that dangle over hell. William Booth said, I wish if I could do one thing before I put you in the ministry is dangle you over hell for five minutes. See the damned. Then you would come back and you wouldn't preach. Dry eyes, prison. Tongue, the word, watch the word. And then another thing. In doctrine it says, 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 4, tells us what kind of doctrine we're supposed to preach. 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 4, it gives us a test about the man who preaches the right doctrine. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine which is according to godliness. See that word? If your doctrine doesn't result in making a more godly man, then throw your doctrine out. He is proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words whereof coming envy, strife, railing, evil surmising. Listen, you have contention constantly in the area of doctrine. Let me tell you, brother, what your problem is. Pride. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. Test your doctrine by the way you get on. Now, we can have disagreements. I bet every Christian in the world could go through on their knees before God with the Bible in their hands when read from Genesis to Revelation. When they got the end, they'd always find some things they disagreed on. But that is not the, the reason why we ought to fight and quarrel about stuff. Listen, if your doctrine causes your contention, it is bigger than the Christ you profess to worship. All right, that's doctrine. What is the first thing before we minister the word? George Mueller gave a beautiful thing. He said, I found, you find it in your manual here under Thomas, he said, I found the very first thing in the morning is that make my soul happy in the Lord. To feed on his word, to to worship him, to be happy in him. And then everything fits. Everything fits. Beautiful thing. Now, we'll get to get on quickly, you brother. That's one. Point one. No, I haven't finished point one. <laughs> yeah. There are some people that will bless your spirit. If you find some men of God that, that really bless your heart, that challenge you, then... Uh, they're good to keep. Give attention to reading the scripture. See, I found some man that really blessed me. A.W. Tozer always burns me every now and then. I like people that burn me, you know, that just go grind and stick a big old bent, twisty knife of the spirit in my heart. Vance Havner is another guy that's good at burning people. I like the book you read and go, ouch, every three minutes. Then if you want a really powerful one, read Power From On High by Charles Finney. Brother, when you get into innocent amusement and preacher save thyself and a few others like that, 
I'll just leave you for that blessing. Now life. We're going to talk about life now. Give. It says, be an example in conversation. That doesn't mean talking. It means life, the way you live. You be an example in the way you live. I found something with the youth ministry, and it's this. Here comes Peter and John coming along to the gate. Beautiful. They see a man down there, and he holds out his hand, and he says, you know, calls out for arms, and they don't have any money. They say this, look on us. He looks up, he's expecting to get something. They said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And understand, when you are ministering to young people, you can't give it if you haven't got it. Now let's think carefully. Do we preach on immorality? Are you immoral? Do we preach on don't steal? Do you steal time? From God? Do we preach on kids being non-hypocritical to be transparently honest before God. Do you exaggerate the results of your ministry and tell Christian lies? I'm going to leave the rest of this to Tony. But brethren, we have got to learn that God is not going to honor us. Oh, you'll have results for a while, but God is not going to honor your life unless you're honest with him. You know what? There's a very important scripture in the same book of Timothy. It tells us something. Paul said there's only one basic thing that you really need to have. In 1 Timothy 1.19, it says you've got to hold the faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. So if your conscience is dirty while you're ministering, you may shipwreck. It'll take time. Listen, first of all, God will know it. Secondly, you'll know it. Thirdly, your best friends will know it. And the people who really love you. And fourthly, the people you minister to will know it. I heard so many ministers, they said they went down the moral drain. It says it was so sudden. It was just an overnight thing. No way, my friend, no way. What happened is step by step, strand by strand, the enemy bound, unbound the cords that tie the disciple in love to his Lord. And then suddenly, bang, and the last cut, woman, the world sees the destruction of a man of God and says, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. It started a long, long time ago. Step by step, strand by strand. Watch your life. You say, how can I share with these kids? The Lord Jesus had a pattern. I put this in the front of the manual. You want to read this? In your own time, you had a beautiful pattern. Uh, you'll see this in the front section under strategy. He found he didn't look for a bunch of people. He found some people who were really willing to learn. Jesus delighted in, in uh, finding followers, people willing to learn and obey. And so must you find those kind of kids. Not obey you because you are you, but obey what you tell them because of what God gives you.
That's your authority. We have no authority in ourselves. Just what God gives us. We're open to correction. You have to learn from the kids too. Listen, no superstars in the Bible. Just a bunch of learners. Everybody learning from Jesus and learning from each other. The day you stop learning and the day you stop obeying is the day you stop being a disciple of Jesus Christ. All right? That's the learned thing. Very important. Read through that thing. You'll see the strategy Jesus used. Basically, he shared with people what he himself had learned. Uh, I think you've got to prove to kids it can be done by doing it. You know, we preach a lot. You know, get out there, you kids, and witness. We don't do it. Greatest temptation in the ministry is this, preaching about things you're no longer willing to do and feeling in your heart, God has raised me up with a ministry of bringing these other kids into doing the thing that needs to be done. I don't need to do it anymore, but God has given me a ministry of teaching other people how to do it. No way. The Lord taught, but he did it by teaching and doing it. See? Showed the disciples. The disciples don't come along and say, Lord, do you know any good books on prayer? They watched him, saw him pray, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We're going to do like, like that, see? And I think the greatest blessing you could have is try some of these things. You try them out, and then come back and learn. You say, but listen, I don't know a lot of this stuff. I don't know whether it works. It's all theoretical to me. Then you go and try it in your own life first. Preach on repentance, you repent first. Then go and tell the kids, listen, you know what happened to me when I went through this. This is what happened to me. Humble yourself, break before them, share what God has done with you. And you watch what happens with them. God will honor you. Why haven't I put a bunch of beautiful stories in this manual? Because I don't want you to go and parrot somebody else's stories. I want you to get your own experiences with God. I want you to take these things that men of God have used. Find for yourself your own experiences and share them. That's where the power comes. Goodness, we better get quickly off life. Two. Three. He says, love. Love. By the way, if you want to get your life shaped up under that little sheet, uh, witnessing like Jesus, you'll see three keys for keeping the glow. And they're beautiful things we may get on this a little later. Love. Whatever you do must come out of love. Must come out of love. Now here's where we need to talk about home relationships. About now, many of you are married. Some of you yet are unmarried. And I want to share this about the relationship of people you love, your mate, your partner, your fiancé, or your dating partner, whatever it is. I believe you're marriage or your date life will be a direct reflection of your spiritual life. I believe your home life will be a direct pattern of your spiritual life. If you have problems in your home, you'll have problems in your ministry. If you have tensions between you, there'll be tensions in your ministry. You have weaknesses in your home life, your love life, you'll have weaknesses in your ministry, and it is follows as night follows the day. Because you see, there's many illustrations in the Bible on salvation, but the one that is used most is marriage. Marriage. And this whole dating thing is a very important thing. Let me share a couple of things. We say, do you really love your wife? Do you really love your husband? And when we talk about love, 
We're not talking about do you feel good about them, which is a tremendous relief, really. God doesn't feel good about the world, but he loves the world. Let me share a basic thing, the difference between girls and guys here, so that you can see some things especially important in the ministry. A girl is more an ESP type of person. A girl is intuitive in her being. That's the way God made her because she's been designed to inspire her husband. She was made a help meet for Adam. So your wives, guys, your wives, whole ministry basically is to inspire, to be an inspiration. And girls think differently. They have this kind of pickup pattern. I, see, here's a guy. I'll give you the opposite so you see this. I, a guy thinks like an IBM computer. Because he's designed to do something different. He thinks like this. One, two, three, four, five, six, Bing. That's the way a guy thinks. Here's the way a girl thinks. One, five, two, bing. That's how she thinks. And that is fabulous for an inspirer. Because her pickup's like this. She gets all these exciting things and she channels them in her being. And when a girl is in love with God, she can channel those on to the man that she loves. And if you treat your wife or your fiancé or your girlfriend properly, you're going to marry this girl that you're dating. Uh, if you're dating or, you know, wife, you've already married her. Um, if you will respond to God's commands in this area, you'll find a tremendous blessing in your ministry because a girl has a slightly different thing. She can feel very strongly, but her life often goes like this. Boom, 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 boom. Guy, on the other hand, life goes like this, boom, 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 boom. And God has designed, in his own wisdom and love, to, to merge these patterns. So the girl has a, the steady hand of leadership, and the guy is not dull and blobby. See that? Now, if you understand this, you'll minister to your wife, or minister to the girl you love. You'll minister to her. You're ministered to this particular way that God has designed her. You'll give her things or provide environments for her that will help her appreciate beautiful things. Lady, understand this, guys. A guy thinks, all right, what does it cost? What's the practical worth of the thing? That's the way he thinks, see? A girl says, is it beautiful? Does it, see? That's part of her makeup. She needs that. So make sure you buy a you know, or get her or provide for her or help her to go out and pick flowers for anything that will provide to that side of her nature. She needs that. It will come back in great blessing in your own ministry. She will be a gracious girl. And you guys, when you leave, you do not be a bossy person. And this has direct relationship to your relationship with Jesus. If you love Jesus, and he is your Lord, and you're a guy, you will learn how to be a follower. That means you learn to take orders. You learn to take orders, you'll know how to give them without being bossy, because Jesus isn't bossy. 
And one of the most beautiful things I know of is in Ephesians, if you zap over in Ephesians here, look at this thing, it's a really beautiful scripture. The scripture says in Ephesians 4, verse 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord is church. That was Ephesians chapter 5, verse something, I don't know. Listen, have you guys ever been nailing a nail up in the wall? Wham, 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 and you hit your thumb. What do you go? Oh, you stupid thumb, fast, fast, fast. Don't you? One of the greatest temptations in the youth ministry is to take your frustrations out on your partner. What do you do with your thumb? Thank <laughs> you. What do you do when your wife or your girlfriend backs your car and do a lamppost? You go, Ooh. or do you go, bash, bash, bash? Teach a lot about Jesus. Now, understand marriage problems come out of dating problems. You have problems in your date life, you'll have some problems in your marriage life. It's sure as the night follows the day. And there will be three things added to your date life. If you had a messed up date life, some of you guys came from non-Christian areas. How many of you know, we'll get a little later on to this, how many of you know the greatest temptations uh, in, come in this area of ministry? come in moral temptations. And I know so many men of God who are single young men who have been tempted tremendously with sexual immorality. And all too often, they get into it and they'll add some problems to marriage. And here's the problems you'll add. You'll add guilt. Let me show you why you add guilt. You get into a heavy necking petting thing before you got married. The Lord will have warned you, but you may not have listened. This is what you do. You add, here's a fuse, which re this bomb represents full sexual intercourse. That fuse represents the God-designed pattern of petting and necking, which is designed to lead to this. If you burn that fuse down in your dating life and keep on throwing blocks on it all the time, because you know you can't go here all the way, you're a man of God. If you ever get caught on this, you know that's the end of your ministry. So often to a young couple here in, in dating keep throwing blocks up like this, and I'll tell you what you do. You learn guilt. It's added to this pattern. And what happens practically is it puts blocks on this thing that designed, God designed to be beautiful and lead all the way to this. It's so much easier to stay clean. So this is especially for the single guy. Stay clean. For God's sake, stay clean. And if you had problems in this area, before your marriage, uh, then we'll show you how to deal with some of those. Another thing you'll add is fear to your marriage. What's the Bible say about perfect love? Cast out all fear. What happens if you've got to keep on throwing blocks on in your date life? Well, for goodness sake, uh, 
you will learn to hold back on this thing, and God designed two people to share beautifully with, you, with each other sexually without, uh, without um, having to worry that they can be open and honest with each other. Do this petting necking thing before marriage, and you really get into that. It'll throw fear into your marriage. You can't love somebody you don't trust. You don't trust yourself, you can't love yourself. If you don't love yourself, you won't be able to love you what? Stay clean. Last solution. You'll add dilutions to your marriage. Share out this with many, many. Go and get involved sexually with a lot of different people. Why am I giving you all of this? Because I've seen so many men of God go down the chutes that God loves. Because in their heart, so many girls who become bitter in their marriages afterwards because in their date life they messed up and after that begin to destroy their husband's ministry by distrust and criticism. How many times has this happened? I don't know. Many men of God that I could have written down and named and I could put a list up here tonight. Now I hate to see a guy that God loves be put on that list. And understand, one public moral slip and that's it for your ministry. You may as well say goodbye to him. Now, you can only cover this so long, guys. God has given me a ministry never used here in this place. There's a ministry of recognizing the problem, sexual immorality, bitterness, unyielded rights. Some of you guys have these. I don't say anything because that's the way I minister to kids. Come up, zap them on this. But I'm just going to give you this stuff. Please use the material. Get it cleaned up. And in your marriage life, it'd be a beautiful thing. If you're... Home life goes right, your marriage go right, and your ministry will be a beautiful thing. I've always found that I've got tensions or problems uh, among my wife and I. If there's hassles, it'll come out on my ministry. I'll get out and I'll preach angrily or something, you know, and it, it won't be in the Lord. So make sure your home life is right, your love life is right. Get that cleaned up. I wish we had hours to spend on that, but we don't. Spirit. We could talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We could talk about the way the Holy Ghost moves with people. I want to talk about that. I do want to talk about the human spirit. I want to talk about the spirit in which you preach the truth that you have. And three great extremes you've got to avoid. One, you've got to watch this thing of pride versus authority. We can preach with pride when we really think we're preaching with authority. And the words will come out, they'll be the right words, we'll say the right thing, but it will kill and not heal. We can preach out of, look, you know, God has given me this ministry and you will listen to what, see that? And it's a pride thing and God will humble us. God has a contriting machine. Bob Mumford says, God has a humbling machine. He's got teeth and gears and all kinds of other things. If you get this problem, he'll feed you through the machine and it'll spit you out all humble. Might take time, brethren, but he'll do it. That's his business. Now, listen, have you had a lot of hassles in your ministry? You know they're not just simply testing to see whether you can take it? Then check your life for these things. Ask, oh God, show me if there's something I'm doing wrong here. Be honest with him. Here's another one. There is two kinds of anger in the Bible. There's the anger of God... And then it's just selfish anger. And the difference is this. One is anger for God, right? 
and another one is anger for your rights. And as far as God is concerned, you don't have any rights if you're a Christian. Don't say, listen, I'm, I have a right to some things in the ministry. You don't. You're a slave to Jesus Christ. No rights. No slave has rights. The sheet that we've used to deal with this, and also in your manuals, you'll find under Philip how to yield rights. Are you angry? Are you worried? Have you got a little materialistic? That means you've got some rights you've never yielded up to God. Tell you something about the ministry. In this world, men are judged by their ability to succeed. In God's world, faith dares to fail. And God will see if you can take the test of failure. Can you fail? Or are you infallible? That's what finished the Pharisees. They said, listen, God has worked with us before and we must be right and anything we do in the future will be right because look at the blessings that God has given us. And that finished them. That's the end. I've seen it come to churches. I've seen it come to pastors. God has poured out his spirit upon them and he's mightily blessed and a vast work has begun. And instead of doing what the Bible said, forgetting the things which are behind and pressing forward to the mark, they started self-congratulating. Praise the Lord. Look at the marvelous... Oh, they wouldn't say, look at what we've done. They say, look at the marvelous work the Lord has done through me. Oh, pride can hide very, very subtly in these things. See that? And what has happened? God has been grieved. For a while you can run on your reputation. The crowds can still come by force of personality. But watch. Gradually God will be grieved away. He just take his hand off your ministry. That's one thing... I pray with David, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Holy anger is for God's right. Listen, is it possible to get angry in love? Of course it is. God loves man and God is angry with their sin. But you make sure when you talk to a bunch of kids that you're not angry because they're not doing what you want them to do. There's only one reason why you can be angry. They're not doing what God wants them to do. I've come up and I've said to them, why do you do that, man? But he felt deep down I love them and I care about them. I've talked to hell's angels and the worst street kids. I've worked in the gangs and the ghettos and different places. I haven't stood behind pulpits and said that. I've been out there in the street and talked with kids that are, are killers, murderers, and done everything possible. And I've talked to a kid and really got hard on his case, but he fell deep inside. This guy really cares about me. He's taken it. Hell's angels, if I, if they sense it was, you know, I don't like what you're doing, man. They'd pull out a knife and go, boop, 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 boop. I don't like you either. <laughs> but God's right. For God's, that's what the whole thing we're trying to say in this thing. God first. God first. Always him. And then the last thing, is concern versus bitterness. I confess to you this is the greatest problem I face in my ministry. I go into a church and God has given me some wisdom in recognizing problems. I go in and I look at a bunch of kids. I look at them and when the anointing of God comes, I could tell those kids about the problems. I could go up and say, you, you're messing around with your girlfriend, you're bitter. And this kid is the star of the show. The CI leader, he does this, he does that. I'm, I've very rarely done that in a, a youth group unless the kids really tighten up and they look like, what is this guy going to say? Then sometimes God gives me liberty to do it, but I rarely do it. Because it hurts, it really crushes and it exposes. 
It just rips off and leaves you naked, and some kids can't handle that at all. Now listen, when I walk into a group of kids and see them all smiling there like saints, and I know their hearts are far from God, and singing praises to Jesus and praying strongly in tongues, and I see their lives. What comes in my heart is I have a tremendous temptation to bitterness. Just to stand up and wash my hands of the whole lot. Say, listen man, you forget. Just, I am finished. I'm not even going to talk to you hypocrites. That's what comes into my heart. But I remember the Bible verse about a man who was forgiven much. David Wilkerson, I think, came to this. Same thing in his ministry. I have been forgiven a great debt. And I can forgive. We must make sure that our, our preaching comes from concern, real genuine concern and not bitterness. Then God will give us authority. God will give us power. God will give us direction. Hear it. And old friends, I'm sorry to keep you so long. But I'm not sorry we're dealing with this. And we're going to talk about something here. The just shall live by his faith. Are you a man of faith? Faith is loyalty of love to the word of God. That's what faith is. Let me show you something here. We're going to talk about money. Timothy 6, 6 to 10. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We build nothing into this world. It is certain we'll carry nothing out. Having food and clothes, let us therewith be content. But they that be rich fall into temptations and a snare, many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and hell. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, man of God, flee these things. Listen, you want to be able to put a sign on your neck and says this, this ministry is not for hire at any price. You want to see how many times I've gone into a church and I've preached what I felt God put on my heart and a pastor came up after it? He said, I could have never said that. And I said, why not, Pastor? It's in the Word of God. He said, if I said that, I'd lose my support. Listen, I don't care if the whole world won't give me a nickel. I will preach what Jesus Christ tells me to preach and let the chips fall where they may. And guys, listen to this. You get delivered from the love of money. I know pastors, preachers, God gives them an anointing, they go out, and then the money men are after them. You know? Listen, brother, if you come to my church, I'll give you X dollars and X diamonds. And I almost make it a principle. If a man comes to me and, and this is his basis, how much would it cost to have you? I don't even bother to reply. Why not? Because this ministry is not for hire. I don't go because somebody has X much of money and X amount of time. I go because the Holy Ghost said, you go preach. 
and I'd preach. Now, God had to deliver me from this because I only had two things I could do in life. I was good at chemistry and I had a rock band. That's the only two things I could make in life. And when God called me, called me to be in this thing, guess what he took from me? My career and my band. So I had nothing left except Jesus. I said, all right, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll go wherever you want me to. I just want you to take care of my needs. I don't need cake. I'm willing to live in rags if that's what you want me to live. If you want me to go and go to Antarctica and sleep with the Eskimos, fine, I'll sleep with the Eskimos. You want me to go to Africa and sleep on the floor of a jungle with the snakes, I'll sleep with the snakes. On the other hand, if you want me to go to the Hilton Hotel and sleep there, <laughs> and I tell you, I've slept in all kinds of funny places, and you never get to a place. I'll tell you how you can test it. You wait till you get to a little place, see how you feel. Feel uncomfortable, chafe a bit of Go around moping and not preach so good because you didn't get treated right. Oh, search your heart again. William Booth was invited to a place. said, I'm afraid I must leave. You've been too kind to me. I'm being spoiled for my ministry in the street. God taught me some beautiful lessons. One of the hardest ones is last time I came over to this country, I needed $1,000. Somebody had given me $40, two $10 bills, and a, and a $20 bill equivalent. I had it in my pocket, and I was ministering down at Teen Challenge in Auckland, New Zealand, and a young boy had just come off drugs. With, he had owed some money, and he was talking to a friend of mine. He said, how does God provide money? And I sat there, that listening, you know. And he said, how does God provide money? Does, you know, he's a young guy, and he saved a week. See, you go up and you say, oh, Lord, you know, give me money and flies out of the sky and you pick it all up and put it. He doesn't know, you know, how these people, the Lord has provided me with money. He doesn't know how the Lord provides his money, you know. And he said, how do we do this? The guy said, what do you need it for? He said, well, you know, I just got saved, just come off drugs. He said, I, I already owe my landlady a month back rent. I, I usually just stay there and I split, you know, and we need to find some other place somewhere else. And he said, I owe this $40, and it's nearly the second month. I'm going to owe another $40. He said, I got a job starting Monday, and I can start paying off this month's rent. But he said, last month's rent, if I don't pay that, I'm going to lose my place. See? He said, I've got to have $40. How does the Lord provide this? Tell me so I can pray. And I'm standing, you know, and you never guess what happened there. Have $40 start burning a hole in my pocket. And I thought, ah, that's got to be the devil, you know. I know. <laughs> that's the devil, man. I know the devil, he'd come along, you know, I'll give this $40 to this guy and the devil say, that's right, brother, you do that, you know. And then I say, oh, Lord, you know, I need this money to go to America where you want me. And he'd say, you dummy, you gave away the money I gave you for this. What are you doing, you dummy? You know, I could just see that, man. So I looked, I, you know, $40 doesn't seem much, but when that's all you have and you've got to leave in a week and you need a thousand, it's an awful lot. And people came and I said, I feel led to the Lord to give this to you, brother, you know. And I said, well, it must be for this trip. And I don't have any rich uncles thinking of dying and leaving me a fortune or anything. And boy, I went out in the back room. I had to talk to the boss, you know. And I said, Lord, if this is really you, you give me a scripture because you've got to give me a scripture. If you want me to give this man some money, then you give me a scripture. I flipped up in the Bible. You know what I came to? It just opened up. I did the Blunk method. The Blunk method is this, you know. Blunk. <laughs> Matthew 6.33, it said, You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
all these things shall be added unto you. I read that, I said, yeah, but that's not a very cool scripture. I mean, that's, you know, that could mean anything. <laughs> I closed it again, opened it up again, said, Lord, it's got to be better than that, because I'm, you know, it was pretty hard to give that. I opened it up to the book of Philippians. It said, my God shall provide all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I looked at that, boy, that was a hard one to get around, you know. And I said, yeah, but the devil can quote scriptures too. That was my head said that. And I said, Lord, it says two or three witnesses. I have a right to ask for one more, see. So I, was, I want to be sure, man, you know. And you never guess. I opened the Bible. It opened up to 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, and I saw these words. Whosoever has this world good and sees a brother has a need and shuts up his heart of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? And I shut that thing back. <laughs> back there. And I had this $40 in my pocket, and a guy was talking here. Okay. And I pulled that out. And I went over there, and I stood behind him, and he was, he was just talking to my friend. He was back to him, and I dropped it in his briefcase. It was $40. And then, it must have been only about 45 seconds later, the guy had all these scriptures all stuck in with pieces of paper to look up one provision. He turned around and he jammed his Bible in his briefcase. That $40 must have got jammed right inside that Bible. And I walked, you know, he closed those briefcase, he walked out. And I walked out too. And I can imagine that guy, man, going home saying, Oh Lord, you know, show me. Oh, smile, you know. It would have been so funny for him. That would be a beautiful thing. But, uh, uh, and then what happened? Now, I'd done every, I'd been faithful to God in the area of money. He entrusted me. I was faithful. Now, it's his problem. It's not mine. I had a very great man of God say to a friend of mine, listen, I used to trust God for money. Not enough people listening to God. So now I ask for it. Brother, if everybody in the world backslides, God will command the ravens to feed you. And I was standing there. I had a week to go. And a friend of the family came up to my mother and said, Is this something you're going back to the United States? She said, Yes. Pulled a checkbook out of his pocket. He wrote out a check for $1,000. He said, There's this there. That guy's never done anything like that in his life. And he'll probably never do it again. My father is the one who takes care of my financial things. What deliverance, guys, can come to your heart when you're not financially dependent? When you can preach without fear or favor because God has called you to a ministry and you're not there because you're being paid for it. Deliver, deliver, deliver us to God from the love of money. And purity, impurity, as we finish here. Just a couple of things on sexual temptations in the ministry. Having a little bit the home thing. In the ministry, there are tremendous pressures on you and temptations to immorality. I think the reasons are this, especially if you're single. I was single quite a long time in my ministry. My, uh, I, I uh, met my wife, uh, my wife-to-be, six years before I married her, and I was traveling constantly. We only saw each other about a year and a half during that whole time. And there are tremendous pressures on a single person in the ministry. You're alone a great deal of time. There's a tremendous loneliness that comes to your life. And there's tremendous pressures. I'll tell you another one reason. 
is you're dealing constantly with people's deep emotional problems. And you're, you're constantly in there, and they pour out the wildest things into your heart. And the third thing is, you're constantly ministering to beautiful people. You know, you'll find a large number of really nice-looking, if your guy, some very beautiful woman will come to you and ask you, she says, I've got this deep problem. It is so easy to be attacked by the enemy in counseling a fellow Christian of the opposite sex. And man, you know, some girl rushes up, oh, praise the Lord, I just enjoyed your ministry. I have a little rule, a one and a half, two second hug. That's it, baby. Boom. Quick hug, wham, and that's it. <laughs> You've got to make some practical rules for your life. If you're married, I strongly suggest you guys, every girl that comes, get your wife on, onto the case there. And uh, if you're not married, and you've got to minister to a girl, you watch, you guys. The Delilah that wiped out Samson is still around sometimes. And they'll plan. They'll put you in a little thing. They'll work it all out so that you are alone with them. So often, a girl will work things out so the youth minister's got to take her home. You make sure you never leave yourself all alone with a girl. You make sure there's always some other guy with you. I learned some real good lessons once. Uh, uh, Barry Reed, this man that uh, really has blessed me once, I... He's a tremendous man of God. He asked me where I come and song lead one for him in New Zealand. We were driving home a tremendous crusade, and we saw two girls hitchhiking. You know, they're hitchhiking way out in the middle of the country. We slowed up to pick them up, take them on their destination. Suddenly, Barry hit that accelerator, man. And he drove off. And I, you know, I said, you know. He said, I was going to, and the Spirit of the Lord checked me. This may be an attack from the enemy to destroy two ministers. Two girls could get together and say, yeah, those two preachers picked us up. You never guess what happened. And who is to deny? See that? Boy, I'll give you some practical things. Um, Peter Marshall had, as a young pastor, unmarried in this church, lady calls him up and says, hey, got this real deep problem. You know, goes over there, there's a naked woman in the house, you know. But unfortunately for the lady, he brought over his janitor. Just to watch this. Always protect yourself. Have somebody with you. Never leave yourself alone with somebody. And when you're counseling, I suggest this. If a girl says, look, I've got this deep problem, could I talk with you privately? You know, let's go to some other room. I always do this. There's a room there, and I have to do it. There's no way I can get out of it. I leave the door open. Anybody can come in and look there anytime, and I sit as close to the door as I possibly can. I am not ignorant of the enemy's devices, brother. I know the way he works. I have read a story, it's one of the most exciting, funny stories I think I ever read. If you're traveling overseas and on the continent, this guy was uh, invited to preach in this place. He's a wealthman. And the guy said, your room is up here. He went up there, he opened the door, and here's three naked women in the thing. The door locks behind them. He knows what is going to happen. Any moment, the door's going to open again and the guy's going to come in with a camera. Click, 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 click. He's standing in the You know what he did? He ran to the window, threw up in the window and said, Help! Help! Door burst up and somebody grabbed him and threw him out as fast as he possibly could. <laughs> and brethren, those of you who are married, do not stay long periods away from your wife or from your husband. You've got to... Billy Graham shared something with us in the school of evangelism. I've never forgotten. He said, I have 
determined in my heart that for every week I'm on the field in the ministry, I will spend a week home with my wife and with my family. It has saved our marriage, it saved my family, it saved my ministry. I make it a point of taking my wife with me, everywhere possible. The only reason she's not up here, she didn't think it was going to be any other ladies up here. I like, you know, we all make mistakes at times. And I can't wait to get home. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have said, meditate on these things, give attention to them, continue in them, for in so doing you'll both save thyself and the people that hear thee. Help us, O God. Help us in the very critical ministry you've called us into where we are the butt of the world, where Satan levels every attack he knows at our minds and hearts and spirits. Give us pure lives and hearts without bitterness and hearts that reach out in love and deliverance from materialism and, and all the things, of oh God, that your word tells us to be an example of, that we may be a genuine living example of the Lord Jesus Christ and be fit to be called as ambassadors in this ministry. We praise you for Jesus. Amen. All right, that's it. That's uh, Temptations in the Ministry or Temptations in Youth Ministry. And uh, we've got some uh, some materials for you if you want uh, that you can get from the moh.org uh, website. Um, Winky mentioned uh, in there the concept of being a slave for Christ. M most people have never heard that concept. Uh, there's a tract on the MOH website, the Ministry of Help's uh, website. Go to the moh.org website and click on discipleship, uh, discipleship training or discipleship training materials, whatever it says, I forget. And uh, look for a, a track called Free as a Slave. I'll also put a link to that in the, uh, in the bottom of the podcast where you can just go directly to that. And um, Youth of Flame, he mentioned some things in Youth of Flame again. You can go to the moh.org website, click on books, and find Youth of Flame. And you can see some of the things he referenced there. And uh, that's about it. Uh, it's, it's a, like I said, it's a lot of information in a short amount of time. So uh, feel free to come back, listen to it again as you go along. If uh, something comes up, you can remember, yeah, Winky had something about that. Go back and listen to this podcast again. But that's it for this time, and uh, I'll see you next time. This is Jim Patton signing off. See ya.